Welcome to Building Charleston, a podcast where we shine a bright light on the dynamic companies changing the landscape of Charleston, South Carolina. My name is Matt Chapdelaine, and as your host each week, I'll be bringing you the most interesting business owners in the Lowcountry. We'll explore how they got to where they are, what they're working on, and what their vision is for the future of Charleston. Thank you for being here. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. This episode of Building Charleston is brought to you by Lane Commercial Real Estate, the Low Country's premier commercial real estate brokerage firm focused on Charleston's office, retail, and industrial tenants. If you're responsible for your company's real estate needs and your company is expanding, looking to open a new location, or opening the first location in the Charleston area, give Lane Commercial Real Estate a call at 843-508-3038 or go to the website at www.lanecre.com. That's L-A-I-N-E-C-R-E.com. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Building Charleston podcast, the podcast where we take a moment each week to meet the leaders who are changing the landscape of Charleston, South Carolina. My name is Matt Chapdelaine. I'm the host of Building Charleston and the broker in charge at Lane Commercial Real Estate. We are recording this podcast on September 27, 2019, and we're recording from the offices of Mike Seekings for Mayor. Today's guest is a lawyer. He served on the Charleston City Council since 2010. He's the chairman of CARTA. He's also the board of directors, uh, Charleston Area Regional Transportation Authority, where he chairs multiple committees. He's a member of the Charleston Area Convention and Visitor Bureau and the Gibbs Museum Board of Directors. For those familiar with the Cooper Bridge Run, he's the interim executive director. He's been a professor at the College of Charleston and the Charleston School of Law. And if you're out of breath just listening to all that he does, then try to keep up because he's an avid runner, too. (laughs) Most importantly, he's a candidate for mayor of Charleston which is why he's here today. I'm pleased to welcome Mike Seekings to the Building Charleston podcast. Welcome, Mike. Oh, Matt, thank you so much for having me. This is exciting to uh, talk a little bit about what's going on in our community, how we're building, and we certainly are. So. Yeah, well, it's uh, you know Charleston's one of the most beautiful places in the world. I think that's why so many people are moving here, in my opinion. But uh, if we're going to keep that going and we're going to keep the party rolling, there's some issues that our leaders are going to need to address. So let's learn a little bit about Mike Seekings. Sure. Mike, you wouldn't mind just tell us a little bit about your background and who you are. So uh, I am not a native Charlestonian. One of the things that happens when you run for public office, they publish a little blurb about you in the paper, and it sort of gives your bio. And um, I was walking down the street the day after I announced, and there was published in the paper a bio about me, and it noted that I was born in London, England. (laughs) And a woman came up to me on the street and said, my, it was fascinating to read about all the things you've done and all your ambitions and look forward to hearing more about your mayoral campaign. And I was really fascinated to know that you were born and raised in London. You don't even speak English. So so that's kind of how we started off. So I'm born and raised in London. England. My father was in the RAF. My grandfather is a career military man. And after my father retired, he and our family moved to the States. And I followed along, been in America ever since. So first generation immigrant to the United States and okay. uh, really living the American dream, right? I, uh, I get to vote and I actually get to hold office. And that's really something that I'm honored to do and be proud to be part of the American culture that I wasn't born into, but have certainly grown into it over the 
past 30 years. That's great. Well, you certainly made the most of your time here. It's um, been fun, for sure. So it, it, an easy question to start. And I find that, uh, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, politics, sometimes it's easier just to, you know, start with, with real basics. If I'm listening to, this, listening to this podcast for the first time, what does the mayor of Charleston do? What's, what's your geographic area? What's, so that's what, a great question. I mean, the mayor of Charleston, in some ways, I think you can make a pretty good argument for, is the leader of the Southeast, is the someone who is the leader of the city of Charleston, which, as you know, in terms of where we live and how we operate and sort of our brand out there in the world is a large brand. And so the mayor of Charleston, the chief executive officer of an important southern city that has a place in the world. And in the end, the bottom line is to make sure that the quality of life for the people who live here is as good as it can possibly be so we can grow our city in a way that's vibrant now, tomorrow, and 100 years from now. Very interesting. You know, basic stuff, right? Police, fire, picking up your garbage are the things that people expect to see every day. But long term, what they're looking for is a living, vibrant city that is a place that you want to live, you want your children to live, you want your grandchildren to live, you want generational connection to an incredible place. Okay. So you've obviously accomplished a lot in your life. Running for mayor is not a layup, right? There's a lot that goes into it. Why did you decide to run for mayor? Running for mayor certainly is an accomplishment. It is part of my life right now. I've sat now on the city council for 10 years. I have been an integral part, I think, of a government in a time in Charleston that we've never seen before. We were founded in 1670, and think about it. We haven't all been around since 1670, (laughs) but even in my lifetime, which has now spanned 60 years and yours, a few years less, <laughs> but there's never been this much activity, this much growth, this much focus on Charleston, our region, in our history. And so to be a part of that, first off, is an honor, but then to think about what it's going to take to make sure that we are as good today as we were yesterday, if not better, takes leadership. And for me, that's the reason I've gotten into this race, is to provide that leadership on a local and a regional level to address the things that come at us every day quality of life, which means what about transportation, the water that's around us and coming at us, we have to manage housing and affordability. And then the, the, the dichotomy between growth and development and overdevelopment without planning. And I think those are things that we need to address. The mayor of Charleston needs to take that, take that lead. I think that I've got the skill set to do it. Certainly interested in it. And this race is all about that. Well, you touched on on some of the uh, you know the hot button issues, if you will, right. in this campaign. So uh, let's dig into each one of those a little bit on a on kind of a case by case basis. We'll start with the flooding. Uh, I was lucky enough to hear you uh, talk about flooding at, at Hall's uh, Chop House shortly after you, you announced uh, that you were running for mayor. It's a really great presentation because flooding is a huge deal down here. We've had uh, really world leaders, the Dutch, come and kind of assess what what's going on here. If if you're elected. First term in a Seekings administration. What's one tangible thing that you would commit to in your first term that would uh, that would help with the flooding issue? Well, the, the the first thing I would do, and I've even done it already, but I would do it first day is just prioritize, have a plan, and pri- prioritize what we need to do to address the challenges that are presented by water that comes up at us from many directions. It comes at us through tidal, through storm surge and it comes at us through rains and we have to address that with certain projects number one in my mind is the calhoun west drainage basin which is the hospital district at 850 acres on the west side of the peninsula gateway to west ashley we have to make sure that's accessible without that our quality of life is affected incredibly no hospital district so that would be number one number two is the church creek drainage basin an area where we built probably where we shouldn't have. We need some zoning help out there. We need some reconfiguration of how we live. We'll get after that. Um, West Ashley. West Ashley, a modern bedroom suburban community that when it was built, 
the drainage planes over there are through open ditches. Something as simple as mapping out the open ditches, knowing where they are, knowing how they work, going out there and literally cleaning them, that would be the next thing on the list. And then there's some other projects, King and UG and Johns Island, we need to rethink it. But I will actually put out a plan there, which I've just done, match it up to the number of days that we have in this term and start to go to work and report out it on it quarterly. Okay. I'm, I'm a real estate guy, so I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, pro-growth, pro-build. And, right. But I hear the, the other side of the argument that we're kind of asking for it when you build in, in a flood zone. Should Charleston be more restrictive on building in flood zones? So the Dutch are instructive in a number of different ways. They've been dealing with this issue and the issues of water for 800 plus years. They have a country that's literally a delta, so they see water coming at them from a number of different directions, from the mountains, from the sea sometimes from the air, and they sort of match all that with the realities of their geography. Half their country is below sea level. We have a lot of areas in this region that are low. We are called the low country for a reason. It is descriptive. It's not just poetic. Um, And so as we get through the poetic part to the descriptive part, we just have to use some common sense. John's Island is a perfect example. There's a good part of John's Island that's well below 15 feet. Water flows through those areas trying to get to the Stono River, trying to get out to the Atlantic Ocean. We're going to have to have some reasonable zoning that puts restrictions in building in places that we know 5, 10, 15, 20, and 30 years down the road will be more susceptible to water and more water. And the Dutch have really put their finger on that. And look, if you're going to bring the experts in the world in and you're going to pay them and you're going to ask them to give you some recommendations, at some point you got to take that to heart. And I believe John's Island is a perfect example where they've really shown us that we can do some things to lessen the effects of the increasing amounts of water that are coming at us. Excellent. Uh, I like that. So we'll pivot off of flooding for a bit. We'll, sure. go, we'll go to traffic. Uh, you're the chairman of CARTA. I am. Uh, what's, uh, what, what's in the works at CARTA that you think is going to make transportation uh, more reliable on our streets? So uh, one of the things I'd like to talk about, and I hope you don't mind if I digress just a little bit, and talk about metrics. I'm a metrics person. Sure. We're a city. You probably don't even know if I were to ask you what the population <laughs> of the city of Charleston is. I'm not going to put you on the spot. but uh, If I were to guess 750? So 750, that would be the region, the city okay. of Charleston. And the way you know if you're in the city of Charleston, by the way, is you go look at the color of your garbage can. If okay. you have a green garbage can, you're in the city. We're 135,000 people. That's... Probably to most people listening to this, they're going to think that's smaller than I thought it was. Mm-hmm. And we're divided geographically as following Daniel Island, 10,000 and growing, James Island, 10,000, pretty stable, a lot of governments over there. Johns Island, 10,000, growing a little bit. West Ashley, 75,000 people. That puts the peninsula at 20,000 people. So against that backdrop of 135,000, we get 7.5 million visitors a year. Seven and a half million, that's 20,500 a day. So mobility and the way we move, not only the people who live here, but visit here is a big issue. So backdrop now into the question you ask. Through CARTA and through other operations and options we've got in this region, we have to think about transportation and transport and mobility other than one person, four tires every time they go somewhere. So CARTA has taken the lead on that. I've been the chairman now for five years. Proud of the things we've done. We've gotten ourselves out of $6 million worth of debt. We've instituted downtown The Hop, which is hospitality in the peninsula, shuttle that's actually working quite well, 600 people a day. That's 600 cars off the street. We are replacing the oldest fleet in America of buses. We're taking the lead on low country rapid transit. So every vibrant community, every vibrant city has to have options for mobility, transit being one of them. And we just need to build that into our program here. It, it will be, in the end, one of the best investments we can make for our community.
Okay. So big picture uh, in terms of a vision for how we commute in Charleston, is that, uh, does that revolve around a bus rapid transit system? Is that, or are there other kind of initiatives you think are uh, you know, more big picture, visionary type So stuff? the big picture is yes. You have to give people an option if they're going to take transit to do it in a way that's more convenient, more reliable, and a little bit cheaper than their other options, which is getting in their car. And so transit lanes that are set aside from traffic that's out there dedicated transit lanes. That's where we're headed with low country rapid transit from Somerville to downtown, ending at the medical district, 23 miles in a dedicated lane. It is rubberized. It'll look like light rail, but it, it will be rubberized. And that's an option then if you want to get in a traffic jam, have at it, but <laughs> we'll give you something that, you know, I mean, I hate to use a colloquial term, but it's got to be cool, right? You got to want to use it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that we're going to work hard and strive to do to make sure that when we put this transit spine in, that is something that is not only usable, but people want to use. Excellent. So next topic we'll talk about is overdevelopment. Right. Uh, Which is a tough topic. It's right? a I tough mean, topic. What does overdevelopment mean? Right. It's, so sure. It's, it's a, you know, the kind of growth that we have here in Charleston that, you know, that we've experienced here, most mayors would die for. Most regions of the country would be Absolutely. just ecstatic about it. But in Charleston, it's something that we're learning to deal with. How should a mayor responsibly manage growth? Well, that's a great question. And, and, and overdevelopment is really just a code word for planning. I mean, we need to plan and we need to think about how we plan and what the one tool that any city or county or region has in its arsenal and its toolbox is zoning. And so the way a mayor should operate along with his or her council and along with other governments around is to look at our zoning patterns, look at our zoning codes, and make sure that it allows for growth and development in areas that we want to have growth and development and discourages it in areas where we don't. The spine of the city. I told you the peninsula is 20,000 people currently who live there. In 1951, there were 70,000 people. We've got room for growth in the peninsula, especially in the upper peninsula. Let's zone to it. Let's have some attainable housing. Let's have transportation. Let's have live, work, and play. And then out on Johns Island in the low areas where we necessarily don't want dense development, let's think about things like transferable development rights. Mayors have to think about zoning codes and the options that they've got to match their resources with their needs and to plan. And if you don't do those things, you get overdevelopment. If you do those things, you get reasoned thoughtful, long-term, successful growth. Okay. So going back to maybe defend myself on that 750 number, as, you know, no, as, okay. as, as, a, as a real estate uh, professional, I look towards, you know, as, region. as, as a region right. approaches about a million people, that's when really Fortune 500 companies and, and, and right. the big, you know, the Boeings and the Volvos, who we already have here, really start to take a hard look at uh, this is a place to re- relocate and, and, and set up shop. If, uh, if I was a Fortune 500 company who was looking to move, would you encourage them to look at Charleston? So great question. They're all great questions, by the way. Um, so, you know, Fortune 500 is a buzzword that we use to sort of denominate the largest growing, vibrant companies in America. But as you know, there are many diverse and growing and vibrant companies out there. It's easy to see a Boeing as you're going to the airport and see the Sprinter vans that are produced here and see the BMWs that come through our port. But one of the things that we've got here is this incredible network of entrepreneurs in the tech industry and the software development coding business that are part and parcel of the fabric of our city. They're economically super beneficial to who we are. They pay high wages. They're low impact on our infrastructure. And recruiting and retaining that type of business, to me, given the geographic limitations that we have, given the infrastructure limitations that we have, that's a area of recruitment that we need to continue to get young, what I call business entrepreneurs and business commuters that can come here and and 
embrace and enjoy what this region has to offer. I don't think there's a huge opportunity for five or six or seven or eight more Boeings here, but there's massive opportunity for hundreds of smaller young entrepreneurs to come here and build businesses that will sustain a community for a lifetime. Great answers. Um, all right, we'll pivot now to uh, the topic of affordable housing. We talk about uh, you know how many people are moving to the region on a, on a daily basis. Housing stock's a big issue. What can a mayor do to make sure that the middle-class family can have a decent place to live in the area? So I think a lot. Um, and again, it goes back to the tools that he or she might have, which is zoning. I don't like the word affordable housing because affordable is what you've got in your pocket today. I think you have to think about tiered housing to the needs and the demands that are out there. So let's take as an example two segments of our economy here, the hospitality industry and the healthcare industry. And we'll go backwards. The healthcare industry, MUSC, Roper, and the VA employ 25,000 people plus or minus a day in an area of Charleston that's on the peninsula and surrounded there is expensive real estate, right? A lab technician, a nurse, even young doctors hard for them to afford to live somewhere close to where they're working. And with all due respect, I want my healthcare professionals to be well-rested, mm -hmm. to have low stress when they're outside of their already stressful jobs. So we have to think about how we can build tiered attainable housing for people in that industry, the hospitality industry. And the way to do that is with zoning, is with growth, is what, with identifying areas, not just within the city, but in the region where you can grow densely. densely. Density is not a four-letter word. If it's planned out and thoughtful and it's got transit and transit accessibility built into it, it's got some density that allows for tiered pricing so that people who work in this region can actually live in this region and take some of the stresses off of them. I think that's a very important role for the mayor, not just only in terms of zoning, but partnering regionally with other governments to really do a regional housing study not so much a study, but put together a plan. Um, and I think that that next four or eight years are crucial in that regard. Okay. So one of the things uh, you, you mentioned before was kind of the different pockets of, of, of voting uh, in the city. West Ashley is one of the biggest. Sure. If not the biggest, it sounds like it's the biggest. As I prepared for this interview and just started asking around, I heard a lot of rumblings uh, that West Ashley isn't kind of getting the attention that uh, they, they feel that it deserves. Uh, what's your vision for residents of West Ashley under Mike Seeking's administration. So when I was first elected to city council 10 years ago, my district was more West Ashley than it is downtown. My mother lived on Southall for 15 years, Southall Avenue right there in Burns Downs, have lots of connections with that West Ashley and think a very, very acute understanding of some of the challenges that are over there. And, and they are this. I mean, you'll hear a lot about this revitalized West Ashley. That's been a buzzword of the administration for the last four years. And I'm here to tell you, go to West Ashley and go meet the people over there West Ashley is vital, but what it's not currently is probably appropriately energized or prioritized. Um, it also isn't urban, and we shouldn't be urbanizing it. We need to do some things. First off, I hear it every day when I'm in West Ashley. I hear it from my mother. Beautify it. Let's make it look like a place, a gateway to a city that people are proud to live in. I mean, it is, again, a suburban community. Water's an issue over there. You've got open ditch drainage systems, identify them. Let's get the easements. Let's clean them out. We were with the Dutch along, not too long ago over there in the Netherlands. One thing that I saw is everyone in the Netherlands has a bike or two, maybe five or six. And most people in the Netherlands have backhoes. They're cleaning out ditches. They're making sure water flows. We need to have that we have to have two maintenance crews out there all the time. And then identify pockets of West Ashley where growth can come in a way that gives people in West Ashley access to 
food, entertainment, and all the things they want to do. So they don't have to leave West Ashley to get it. 80% of people who live in West Ashley leave West Ashley to go to work. We're never going to get that number to zero because a lot of people are working downtown in the medical district. They're working at Boeing. Boeing's not moving. But we can have some local business. We can encourage economic development over there. I would put an economic development person from the city focused solely on what we can do to develop homegrown businesses in West Ashley in the infrastructure that exists there. Um, that hasn't been done. That needs to be done. Not just go out and buying wholesale pieces of property and putting it in the government rolls. Let's see how we can grow and put a put an office over there that the mayor will spend some time in and feel and see what's going on. So I think West Ashley needs some attention. It needs to be prioritized. There are some things we can do, but we don't need to overdo it. I don't think people want it overdone. They don't want it urbanized. They want it prioritized. And we're here to tell you that's coming. Okay, great. So the last uh, hot button issue, uh, if you will. So fiscal responsibility. Uh, we've talked about fixing flooding. We've talked about infrastructure upgrades, uh, affordable housing, um, and, and the different ways that that gets done. These are these can be big ticket items. They are. Um, the, the, you know, so the question is, how, how do you how are you going to pay for it? How do you pay for it all? That's right. Again, back to metrics. Mm-hmm. One hundred thirty five thousand people living in the city. Our number one source of revenue in this city, and it's not uncommon in South Carolina. But in Charleston, the numbers get stark. Our number one source of revenue is property taxes. It's not tourism fees, which you might think it is. Property taxes, right? Number two source of revenue is business license fees. Interestingly, and maybe somewhat humorous, hum- humorously, the number three source of revenue is parking. We don't have a direct city sales tax. We don't have a direct way to tap into all the revenue that comes from the 7.5 million tourists. So I can tell you one way we can't do this is to every time we need a new fire truck or we need to clean up ditches in West Ashley or we need to build infrastructure for flooding around the hospital district, we can't just simply keep raising property taxes. I've never voted to raise a property tax because it's not an equitable way to go. Stormwater fees are one, but we have to look at other ways. Here's a perfect example, not the only one, but we have a cruise industry that is an embark, debark, ship comes here to take people away twice a week, 52 weeks a year, puts 3,500 people on it every time it does it. So if you do the math, 104 turns a year times 3,500 people, about $1,000 all in. They're doing about $375 million worth of business right here in Charleston. We get zero revenue back direct from that, not a dime. We have to look at that and change that and have economic equity so we can take some of that money and put it towards infrastructure put it towards attainable housing, put it towards the things that really we every day are challenged by, and we cannot do it 100% on the backs of property owners. That's just not going to happen. We've heretofore had leaders who just simply wanted to raise property taxes, raise property taxes, raise property taxes. That will not happen under my administration. We'll look at other ways to do it, the state infrastructure bank, the half-cent sales tax. Those are all available to us. They're monies that are already in place. No more new taxation new sources of revenue that are available, a way to go. And it's going to be a challenge and it's going to take some fortitude, but we can do it. Okay. Good answers all around. Well, <laughs> well, well they okay. are the answers. Yeah. And, you know, it's a, it, it, in some ways it goes back to government 101. I mean, right. You know, your government give you the opportunity to succeed and then get out of the way. And like that's it. what we're all about. So we'll, we'll catch our breath here. We'll, we'll do one or two fun questions to, to sure. take us out. So Mike Seekings, what do you do for fun in the low country? Well, I love the low country. There's so much out there to do. Um, I'm a big runner. And so one of the ways I get to see the low country is one step at a time, running five to six miles at a time, probably. Love to run. Um, have a great family. Love the outdoors here. I mean, 
I love to travel too, but mostly here. So outdoors, being in the low country is a big part of who and what we are. Okay. This is a point in the show where I typically ask people for what their vision of, of Charleston is. I, I interview leaders who obviously have impact on it. You've, you've certainly give us a, you know, a granular look at, at kind of your vision for how Charleston's going to grow. So I'm going to ask the question in two ways, and I'll let you, let you take it how you want. Sure. I'll ask the first way of, you know, what's your vision for Charleston? But, you know, secondarily, as, as you're running for mayor, the, the election is November 5th. If you want to make an argument for, for why you should be the mayor, uh, I think the, the, the listeners would like to hear that. So the vision always goes back to what is the quality of life component for the people who live here. And I call it the 7272 formula or rule or dichotomy. And that is we're the hottest place in the universe right now for 72 hours. For people who come and visit us, we are the hottest place in the universe for those 7.5 million. Are we as good on the other side of that spectrum for people here for 72 years and beyond for generations? We have to focus every decision that we need to make, that we make about what we do in the low country has to have part of that a quality of life component for the people who are here for 72 years and beyond to invest in their lives. My vision is that you and I, particularly you, in 20, 30 years from now, will still be here in Charleston and have said it was the best decision I ever made to invest my life, the one thing that you have in this region. And the argument is this. I've sat on city council now for 10 years. I've been part of the Regional Transportation Authority for almost that long. I've been chairman for five. I've been the interim director of the Bridge Run. I sit on the Traffic and Transportation committee, many other things on the board of the Convention Business Bureau. Technically, I know as much, if not more, about what goes on both in this city and this region than probably anybody. I've had a 10-year entrepreneurship, if you will. I've learned to work and play very well with the region. The Carta board is made up of 18 elected officials from this region, of which I've now been elected three times unanimously. So, so the Seekings administration will come from day one, come day one with experience, with a vision, with a plan, and Get moving on many of the things that I and you hear every day out there in the community that need to be taken on, the challenges that seem daunting, but really, it's like running a marathon. Mm-hmm. People say, you're a runner. I say, well, you are too. So I can never run a marathon. Take three steps. You're now a marathoner. You just got to keep going. And you can't get to the end until you've taken that first step. Taking steps, no more studies. Get out there, roll up our sleeves, and deliver some results for people in the low country in Charleston and Make sure that the leader of Charleston, the mayor of Charleston, leads the region in the things that are regionally based challenges. Okay. Well, uh, there's a great lead into my kind of final question. If I'm, if you know, if I want, if I'm listening to this podcast and I want to roll up my sleeves, what's the best way to get involved with the Seeking campaign? If I listen to this, so, I, I want to support them. Mike Seekings is out there everywhere. Our website is voteseekings.com. Okay. Uh, my cell number, which people can call me or text me, is eight four three three six four eight five eight three. Come on board. We've got a great campaign going. Uh, we recognize that it's not just all work. It's been a lot of fun, a lot of young people. And I will say this, um, having been both a volunteer on a campaign, now being on a campaign, get out there and get involved in local government. If you're not interested in running yourself, get involved in a campaign. You'll learn a lot about what happens in your town, in your region. Get behind a camp- campaign and a candidate you like and respect, and you will have a very rewarding experience. So come on, we'd love to have anybody. It's only 45 days till the election. So 
Lots Great. to do. I'll have all that information in the, in the show notes of this. So anyone who's listening to that didn't have a pen, maybe they were driving, uh, you'll be able to find all that in, right. in, the, in the show notes. Um, so to fuel you up, we brought you a bag of uh, pop, popcorn. Uh, this is a, you know, near and dear to my heart. They're a sponsor of the show. It's, uh, it's, it's great for running. It, it's going to give you a lot of energy. Uh, we hopefully look to uh, the Seekings campaign to mandating this to be in every grocery store and every bar and restaurant in the city of Charleston. But Let me can- just say this. We're, we're going we're gonna to eat it. We're going to put it pr- – prominently um, out on the tables in our campaign. We'll put it out there on social media and we'll certainly make sure and encourage everybody in town to get this on the shelves. Love me a good pop popcorn. And, and it is really good. It's uh, it's one of my favorites. So at this point, I, I wrap up the show with a, a pro tip, a building Charleston pro tip. This one, it's if you're listening to this podcast, you certainly have a phone or a computer in front of you. The best thing you can do is just register to vote. I am newer to the area. I went online. I've, I've a South Carolina driver's license. It was incredibly easy just to register to vote. So my pro tip for this week is if you're, if you don't know what you're doing, just Google it. It's all going to be there. Eventually it's going to take you to charlestoncounty.org. You look for the voting tab. It's a very simple process. So the pro tip for this week, get involved, get out there, make sure you're registered to vote. So on November 5th, you can go out there and vote for the candidate that you think is best. If you like this episode and you want to hear more, please like the podcast and subscribe. Building Charleston publishes each week, and we have some more exciting interviews that are on deck. If you have questions or comments or know someone who should be featured on the show, definitely uh, have them reach out to me. My contact information will be in the show notes, too. Finally, if you're a business in the low country who's looking to expand or relocate your business, or if you're listening to us from somewhere outside the Charleston area and you're considering moving your business, please reach out to me at Lane Commercial Real Estate. Again, my contact information will be in the show notes uh, that follow this episode. With that, thank you one last time to Mike Seekings and his staff for making this podcast happen. Thank you to the listeners for downloading and tuning in. Go out there, everybody, and make it a great week. This episode of Building Charleston is brought to you by Lane Commercial Real Estate, the Lowcountry's premier commercial real estate brokerage firm focused exclusively on representing Charleston's office, retail, and industrial tenants. If you're responsible for your company's real estate needs and your company is expanding, downsizing, looking to open a new location, or opening the first office in the Charleston area, Give us a call at 843-508-3038 or go to our website at www.lanecre.com. That's L-A-I-N-E-C-R-E.com.